This Wednesday night was the commissioning of the Operation Barnabas students on the so-called Kiss the Donkey Night. Um, I kissed the donkey. But my Kiss of the Donkey was highly criticized because it wasn't much of a kiss. It was a little tech. I think maybe in light of the royal wedding and you know, Kate and Kate and Will and kiss they conveyed to one another, women were hoping for more substantive kiss. But the donkey was kissed and that in the night. Eric took some time to recall the prayers that were being offered through the year, and uh, so there were screens of prayers, like seven screens of prayers. And Latanya, who was part of this, she began wondering, what did I pray back in September? So she searched thoroughly for the screen to find her prayer, and she turned to her neighbor, Diana Reiser, Rebecca's mom, and said, what did I pray about? And she happened to be there when she wrote her prayer back in September, and it was, I may forgive, forgive somebody and then forget she had forgotten the person that she had forgiven. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good beginning to a sermon on forgiveness? Yeah, she, she forgave the person and then forget forgot. So let's talk about discipleship, what that is. Discipleship is a lifetime relational process driven by the Holy Spirit. There will always be somebody in your life to love. It's natural to love the people who love you. I love you, you love me. That's beautiful, right? That's what's intended to be. That's, we don't get any credit for that kind of love. Jesus said, love your enemy. It's natural to hate the people who hate you. You hate me, and I hate you back. That's not so beautiful. Right? But it's supernatural when you hate me, but I love you. So how did you do this week loving your enemies? Blessing those who curse you. Praying over those who mistreat you. Now, I'm not talking about cursing like, I hope your car breaks down on the Capitol Beltway in the middle of rush hour. Or, I hope your air conditioning breaks in the middle of a 100 degree day. I'm talking about wishing somebody well. Blessing them, right? Jesus is, is quite a radical concept of love here. Of loving your enemies. Praying over those who curse you mistreat you and blessing those who curse you. So discipleship is this lifetime relational process driven by the Holy Spirit of being conformed into the likeness of Christ, the image of Christ. Why? For the sake of others. A disciple is a learner, a follower. We are following the teachings of Jesus. We're unpacking this summer the core teachings of Jesus on discipleship. He said, if you abide in my teaching, you really are my disciples. So we need to listen to what Jesus is saying, his teaching, meditate, reflect on what he's saying, and then obey and apply this to our lives. This coming Saturday is an awesome day for our city to convoy hope. Thousands will be coming to the fairgrounds. And the churches, Christians, will be blessing the least of these, the poor in our city. Right now in Michael Dixon's farm, it's growing things, we're going to be harvesting to give away to the poor. Haircuts, uh, family portraits, the gospel being shared. It's going to be a glorious day for our city. If you want to be part of that, just talk to us and talk to Brenda. We'll get you signed up for Convoy of Hope this Saturday. Discipleship. Now, Jesus, let's go to his teaching that we left off last week in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus said, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
There's a beautiful old word, it's called magnanimous. Can you say that with me? Magnanimous. What God is inviting us to is a magnanimous life. Magnanimous comes from the word magna, meaning great. Animus meaning spirit. Or great spirited, or great souled person. God is calling us not to a life of judgment or condemnation. When the woman was caught in adultery, she was brought before Jesus, and there were those who wanted to condemn her, to judge her. So Jesus knelt down in the sand and began to write something, perhaps the law or the names of the people. And he said, he is without sin. Let him be the first one to throw the stone. And one by one, the men walked away because they perhaps saw their name and their sin. But they weren't able to cast the stone. And then after they walked away, Jesus said, has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And he said, neither do I. But go and leave your life of sin. When we enter into judgment, what's happening is because of our own sin, we're transferring that sin onto somebody else and judging them for their sin. Judgmentalism attaches motives to actions that have never been there. It sees others in the worst possible light, and it assumes the very place of God. Judgmentalism at its best is spiritual cancer, and at its worst is spiritual death. That's why Jesus says, do not judge, lest you be judged. For if we use judgment, the same judgment will be applied to us. If we condemn others, it's showing that we're still condemned. But if we forgive as we have been forgiven, it shows that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. In his Lord's Prayer, he's taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, to pray for daily provision, that God might take care of our needs. If we need a car, to pray to our Heavenly Father, provide a car. If we need food to eat, a job, the Father may provide these things. So we pray daily for God's provisions. But also we're to pray daily for God's pardon, to forgive us our trespass, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Jesus would explain that saying, if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. He was saying then, the mark of one of my followers is both of having been forgiven, but also extending forgiveness to others. In a book by Chuck Lynch, he writes about, I should forgive, but. I should forgive, but I'm not really angry. I should forgive, but I can't forget. I should forgive, but somebody has to pay. I should forgive, but I just don't understand. I should forgive, but they haven't acknowledged what they've done. I should forgive, but I'm living with those painful memories. I should forgive, but I can't forgive myself. I should forgive, but I'm not the forgiving kind of person. Sometimes we find ourselves held in the grip of unforgiveness. The offense was too great. The person won't accept responsibility for what they've done. They never asked me to forgive them, or they're going to do it again. So let's look at the example of Jesus on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Has somebody ever done you wrong? Kind of a dumb question, isn't it? Somebody has done you wrong. They did Jesus wrong. The soldiers made sport of him. 
They ripped his back, leaving him raw and wounded. They set up all kinds of insulting things about him. They paraded him through the streets of the city. They made him carry his own cross. They drove nails through his hands and his feet. They gambled over his clothes. Somebody, somewhere, has done you wrong. And how you responded to that wrongdoing has shaped your life. You have held a grudge against them. You have replayed the incident over and over again. That's called resentment. When you feel the same feelings over and over again for a wrong done to you. And resentment always takes us into bitterness. The bitterness root goes back to the offense. Well, I'll tell you something else about bitterness. When your soul is bitter, there's a root of bitterness inside of you. When somebody does you wrong, it also will attach back to the original wrong that was done to you, that was buried inside your soul. Bitterness will always take us into self-pity or self-loathing or trying to get even. We will punish people who have done us wrong. And we fantasize what it's like to tell them off. So let me ask you a question. Does holding a grudge really work? Tossing something over and over again in your mind? Holding a grudge is like spinning your tires in the mud, making no forward progress, just burning up a lot of energy, digging a deeper hole, and getting nowhere. You see, the longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge will hold you. And the deeper the grudge gets inside of you, the deeper grip the grudge has upon your heart. Now hear me well. I'm not saying that what they did to you isn't a big deal. But I will speak as a pastor now to you. If you carry a grudge, the weight will only feel heavier. And someday you will emotionally collapse. This morning we're going to allow the Spirit of God to break some of the chains of our past to show us how to release the grudge we have in carrying. For there's hope. There's Jesus Christ who came down from heaven. He has the power to release the grip of the grudge, to cut free the chains of the past. All of our healing begins at the cross. Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross for you. We often see the cross depicted in the sort of the lowercase t. But the truth is that Jesus was crucified more on like an uppercase kind of t. We often think about Jesus carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem, the vertical and horizontal cross beam. But the truth is that Jesus only carried the horizontal beam up on his back, but it was heavy, too heavy to bear, and someone was recruited to help carry that cross. Jesus is often portrayed as being crucified 15, 20 feet off the ground. The reality was Jesus was crucified five or six feet off the ground. You see, when Rome crucified a man, they wanted you to get eye to eye and see it and feel it and hear it. Because once you saw somebody being crucified on the cross, you never wanted to be in that person's position. You knew that if you did not bow your knee to Rome, this also would happen to you. The cross permits us to see the face of the Savior of the world. And to look at his face is to see pure love. And coming from his lips on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Out of his deep love for humanity then, he was showing forgiveness. It was there he was being punished for mankind's sin. 
that we no longer would punish ourselves or punish others for their sin. You see, the cross was something you could not walk away from. The cross is timeless. The cross is personal. God's grace is available to you. God's grace is accessible to you. No sin will ever trump the cross that Jesus Christ died upon. Because once you embrace the cross, you are forgiven. And you are a child of God. And you are set free. So let's look together at the example of Joseph. I want you to stay at the cross and let God's grace flow into your life. I want you to stay at the cross that God's grace may flow out of your life. Let me say, that goodness may not always flow to you, but goodness can always flow out of you. And love may not always come in your direction, but love can always flow from your heart to somebody. And somebody may hate you, but you may love them in Jesus' name. So we're going to talk about Joseph now. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis 45. Let me summarize for you several chapters of the book of Genesis. This is a story worth reading and reading again and asking God to speak to you. The story I'm about to tell you about Joseph is to answer the question, how can I know when I've really forgiven someone? Joseph was part of a large family. He was a son born to his father, Jacob, in his old age. Jacob had a fondness and affection for Joseph. You could say that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. But his brothers were all jealous of him because of all the attention he made. His father uh, made for him a coat of many colors, and his brother's jealousy turned to hatred. When, his brothers told, when Joseph told his brothers about his dream, that they would bow down to him, now they really hated him, and they began to plot against him. So on one day, Joseph went looking for his brothers, and they made a plot against him to take his life. You see, hatred has a passive and an aggressive side. Hate is the voice of the tiger, the snarl of our soul. Hate is how we feel when we've been wronged and violated. You see, our hate has a passive side, not wishing somebody well. But our hate also has an aggressive side of trying to get even. There was nothing wrong with Joseph's dream. God had given him a destiny. He was to rise to be the prime minister of Egypt. He would be second unto Pharaoh. He was going to dispense grain to the people. God had his hand on Joseph's life. So many times it says in Scripture that the Lord was with him. But when he flaunted his robe and declared his dream... His brothers plotted against him. So on one day they jumped him and they took his robe and they threw him into a pit. And when some Ishmaelite traders were coming by, they sold Joseph into slavery. They betrayed him. And they covered up their story by taking his robe and dipping it in goat's blood and showing it to the father. Deception. To add injury to insult, Potiphar's wife flirted with Joseph down in Egypt. She came on to him. Joseph was well-built and handsome. He was in charge of the whole household. But Joseph um, Joseph did not uh, um, go to bed with her. And because of the charges against him, Joseph went to prison. Joseph had experienced jealousy, hatred, betrayal from his brothers. His brothers treated him cruelly with disdain. They sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Secondly, Joseph had been accused falsely. Because he had been faithful to God, he landed in slammer. 
And now Joseph knew that God had allowed this to happen in his life. Joseph could have easily slipped into self-pity or bitterness. There were many things in his life he could be bitter about. His brothers who sold him into slavery, Potiphar's wife who brought charges against him, God who let this happen. The truth is that Joseph needed to be delivered from self-pity and from bitterness. And God did an amazing work in Joseph's life. From the time of the offense to 22 years later, Joseph had forgiven his brothers from his heart. And now they showed up in Egypt looking for grain. And here's the incident from Genesis chapter 45 and some principles you can draw from forgiveness. Now, you may not need these principles today, but I'll guarantee you someday you're going to need these principles. So here we go, Genesis 45. When Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known unto the Egyptians. Why did Joseph make the Egyptians leave before he had this conversation with his brothers? Joseph did not want anyone in Egypt to know what his brothers had done to him. His brothers had done him wrong. And he knew that the Egyptians knew what his brothers had done to him. The Egyptians would hate his brothers. You could say that Joseph was exercising discernment. By dismissing the Egyptians, he was having a private conversation with his brother and ensuring the Egyptians would never know. You know, when you have an offense in your life, it's good for you to go to your brother, to go to your sister, to show them their fault, to have a private conversation. But in America today, we have Facebook and we have Twitter. So why is it that we put on Facebook and Twitter what other people have done to us? The real reason is we want to punish them. The one weapon at our disposal is our tongue. We can tell everybody what we know, what this person has done to us. And we justify ourselves by saying, if they hurt me, I'm going to hurt their reputation. It serves them right. They're getting what they deserve. So we blab to everybody what happened as a way of getting even. What I want you to know is this. That Jesus Christ, when his disciples failed him, what he did was he went to them. They were locked up in a room. They had locked the door for fear of the Jews. And what Jesus did was, he went to his disciples and said, Peace be unto you. They had failed him. They had deserted him. They had betrayed him. But Jesus went to them and had a private conversation with them. What did he say? Peace be unto you. What Jesus was about was restoration of a broken relationship. What the disciples never could have done was their mission as long as they were living in their guilt. And Jesus was helping them resolve their guilt by speaking peace over them. What a beautiful thing it is when we are guilty to have peace be spoken over us for forgiveness to be given in Jesus' name. Secondly, allow the release of all these pent-up emotions. Joseph, when he dismissed the Egyptians, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him from outside the door. Pharaoh's household heard all about it. There was a time when Joseph hated his brothers. 
He hated what they did. He hated himself. But love is stronger than hate. The scripture says to love each other fervently because love covers a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters, there's a multitude of sins we have toward one another. But love is stronger than hate. When you really love somebody, you cover that multitude of sins. You forgive them. It seems that Joseph had been working at resolving his anger. Usually we resolve our anger slowly and with understanding. What happens is in this conversation, this one-on-one, we begin to understand the other person's perspective. We understand their motivation, why they did what they did. We understand more about their actions. That's why Jesus said for us to go to the person, to show them their fault, to resolve it by forgiving one another. Oh, how much hurt could be resolved if we just obeyed the voice of Jesus. Do you ever hate and love somebody at the same time? Do you wives ever hate and love your husband the same time? Come on. Do you husbands ever love and hate your wife the same time? Do you kids ever love and hate your parents the same time? It's possible to love somebody and hate them at the same time. You know that, does I was listening to somebody, a Navy SEAL wife. She's talking about how much she loves her husband, the missions he goes on, serving his country. But she hates the whole loneliness of being away from him, of having to deal with everything by herself. And so she hates and loves at the same time. Sometimes we find ourselves in this dilemma. I really love you, but I really hate you. I mean, you really hurt me, and I really hate you right now. You see, it's really hard for Christians to say, I hate you. But it's true sometimes, right? If you're really hurt, come on now. If you're really hurt, don't you really hate somebody? It's part of your humanity. But here's the false belief. That those who fail are unworthy of love and deserving of my punishment. You see, oftentimes people who fail you because you have expectations on them, what you say is they're not worthy of love, they're deserving of punishment. I'm going to punish you by attacking you or by withdrawing from you. You understand? But a true belief, a godly belief is, those who fail desperately need your love. They desperately don't need to be punished more. Do you have a punishing personality? How many perfectionists have you? Okay. You set high standards for yourself, right? And when you don't hit them, what do you do? You punish yourself. Or somebody else, you have a standard set for them, an expectation. And they don't deliver according to your expectation. So what happens is you punish them. Do you realize that Jesus Christ was punished on the cross? That you don't have to punish yourself? That Jesus Christ was punished on the cross? Paying the punishment for the sins of others? That you don't have to pay them their punishment? When you really believe the cross and embrace the cross, you don't have to punish yourself anymore. And you don't have to punish others. So stop punishing yourself and stop punishing others. Don't inflict punishment with your words, your actions, or your positions. You see, when 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 Joseph showed up, they were terrified at his presence. Here was a man with a very high position. They knew they had done him wrong. But Joseph wanted them to feel at ease. Sometimes when someone has offended us, we want them to squirm, right? 
You made me suffer. I'm going to make you suffer for a while. Come on, be honest. But you know what Jesus did at the cross? He saw us in our humanity. He knew we had sin. He removed sin from us. And then he resolved, I'm not trying to get even with you. I'm here to forgive you. And encourage them to experience God's forgiveness. You realize that in forgiveness what's happening is you're not treating somebody for what they have done to you. You're looking to the cross, what Jesus Christ did for you. And because of what he did for you, you're focused upon the cross that now you can convey grace to someone who's done something to you. You're no longer looking at the offense. You're looking at the person who broke the offense, who paid for the offense, unto Jesus Christ himself. So tell me, are you looking more at the offender and the offense? Are you looking more at the cross and what Jesus Christ did for you? Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Come close to me. I don't want any distance in this relationship. I want to restore this relationship. You are my brothers. The reason why I've chosen this this text is those who are closest to us have the greatest capacity to offend us and the wound to go the deepest in our soul. Do you agree? He said, come close to me. You see, long before Joseph ever went down to Egypt, he had... Uh, Before his brothers came down to Egypt, Joseph had already forgiven his brothers from the heart. Now notice this in verse 5. I want you to see it, okay? Look at verse 5. He said, I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery down here in Egypt. Had Joseph forgotten their sin? Hold on a second. Look over here. You guys may be with me. Had Joseph forgotten their sin? Based on the text. No, no, he had. They're afraid over there. All right. Joseph had not forgotten their sin. He remembered being in that household. He remembered what they had done to him. But he also remembered the kindness and the goodness and the forgiveness of God. God had done a work in Joseph's life. He wanted his brothers to ex- experience this. He knew that God had sent him down there. You see, Joseph knew, this is what he knew, that Abraham's descendants would go down to Egypt. And he was chosen to go first. And he had now come to Egypt to preserve their lives, to dispense grain to them, preserve the nation. You see, he saw the big picture, that God was sovereignly ruling and putting him in this position now that he could dispense grace to his brothers. And notice this point also. He sheltered them from condemnation. He said, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. What what their greatest nightmare was, they would have to go to their father and say their deception. And Joseph loved them enough to protect them from that moment. He said, go home and say, Joseph's alive. He's down in Egypt. He's second to Pharaoh. And commit yourself to a lifelong process of forgiveness. You may forgive somebody at 12 today and have to forgive them at 2 this afternoon and 7 tonight and 11 when you lay yourself down to bed and 6 when you rise in the morning and 8 when you go about your day and 10 o'clock tomorrow and 4 o'clock on Tuesday. 
because forgiveness is a lifetime process. The brothers were very worried that when their father passed away, that Joseph was going to lay the hammer down. And Joseph said to them, that God, you meant this for evil, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So look at my trees, if you will. Let's go to our trees. It's been said that the, the fruits of a person's life come from their roots. Bad roots produce bad fruits. Good roots produce good fruits. I told you about my little tomato plants. My little tomato plants now are about two feet tall. And the reason why they're climbing up is because I made sure when they were little tomato plants, I was really good to the roots. I kept watering them, putting miracle Girl on them, protecting the roots. Because I wanted these tomatoes to have really good roots. And someday I'm going to bring to you the fruits from these tomato plants. We're going to enjoy them together. But let's go back to Joseph's life and look at some of the roots of his soul. First thing that Joseph would have experienced in his household was jealousy. His brothers were very jealous of him. And then when his father gave him the coat, they hated him. And then when Joseph came to check on them, they betrayed him. They sold him into slavery. Now, let's look up the tree, what normally happens when a person has those kind of roots. The first thing that happens is they indulge themselves in self-pity. They feel sorry for themselves. Joseph could have spent the rest of his life feeling sorry for himself, telling the story of being wrong, telling the story of his family. So can you. He could have entered into bitterness. You see, bitterness sometimes has a very long root. That's why it says, see that no one misses the grace of God, but no root of bitterness comes up inside it. I'll tell you, whole cities can be held by bitterness. Cleveland is still upset about LeBron James. Baltimore still resents the fact the Baltimore Colts went out at night. You know, bitterness can settle into your soul. It can settle into a household. I mean, everybody's just bitter with each other. We're just like bitter people. Somebody says something, you bite their head off. You've got this chip on your shoulder. You're just walking around in bitterness. You're just bitter all the time. And then, revenge. You see, now your bitterness takes on an active form, revenge. Joseph was plotted against. He could have plotted against his brothers. But what happened in Joseph's life? Next to Joseph experienced God's acceptance. Joseph encountered God's love. Joseph knew the faithfulness of God. And so out of, his life, out of his life became love. He really loved his brothers enough to forgive them. And forgiveness, forgiveness means to let go, to release, to no longer hold on to something. And then protection. He was protecting them from their greatest nightmare. You see, good roots always produce good fruits. We have to let ourselves be rooted in the love of God that the fruit of our life would also be love and forgiveness. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. Not by your hate or your bitterness. Not by your self-pity. But by your love for one another. Your love for God. You see, this is the fruit of the root of God in our life. So let's conclude. 
I want to put on the screen two scriptures. These scriptures are worthy of you memorizing, meditating upon, living in, because they're powerful. We're going to do this morning the Christian discipline of reflection and meditation. Before we go to the bread and cup, I want you to exercise yourself by looking at these verses. I want you to reflect on the kindness, the compassion of God for you. Think about for a while how kind God has been to you, how compassionate God has shown to you. You know, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, God, God, God loves to show his graciousness. He rises to show his compassion to you. Our God is gracious and compassionate. I want you to linger at the cross and embrace God's love and forgiveness for you. Let the grace of God flow into your soul. Your anger and your hurt may be damming up the flow of God's grace into your soul. But in Christ, God forgave you. Your sin, not in part, but in whole, was nailed to the cross. Some of you, the person who most needs to be forgiven is yourself. You're having a hard time receiving the grace of God. You're always beating up on yourself, condemning yourself. You need to forgive yourself. You need to know that in Christ you are forgiven. Your sins are under His blood. Your sins have been nailed to a tree. Now you need to know that forgiven people forgive. God has forgiven you, and you have now this great opportunity to forgive others. Somebody said you're never more human than when you sin, but you're never more like God than when you Pray with me. Our Father, as we bow before you, we confess the multitude of sins that we have done. We believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover our sins. That we have been forgiven in his name totally and freely. And now, having been forgiven, Lord, having received from you, we extend our hand to another to forgive them. The very same grace that you showed to us, we ask that God, who might allow us to show to somebody, to forgive them from the heart, to really let them off the hook, to release them, and to release ourselves from the grudge of your faith. Father, may we be able to receive this teaching and step into a lifetime of forgiveness, showing ourselves to be your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name.